right. So here we are, the fourth name of Jesus spoken in the prof, uh, by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9. We're going to read that verse again, Isaiah 9, verse 6. It's up on the screen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. All right. I wanted to give us that picture of the complete circle. Okay. Uh, we have these four names. Each give us a very different look into this person of Jesus. Um, but when we understand it, he's, it's like a, it's like a, a, a prism, right? You, you look at it from different angles and you see the light reflected in different ways. Um, these names of Jesus act like that. And when we really understand the different names and experience him in these different ways, we get a fuller understanding, a more complete understanding of who he is. So we're going to conclude with this name, Prince of Peace. And, and I want us to begin by using our imagination for a moment. If you'd like to close your eyes to make it a little bit easier for you to imagine this, you're welcome to do that. I'll let you know when to open them. So, so don't worry. Um, but I, I want you to imagine that you, you are there on the night that Jesus was crucified. And I want you to imagine that you were a follower of Jesus and you had been walking with this man for the last two, maybe three years. You have seen him do wonderful things. He has given sight to the blind. He has healed the diseased. He has delivered the demon-possessed. He has restored dignity to the poor and the outcast. He has confronted the oppression of those who are in power. He has even raised people from the dead. And you've begun to believe that there is nothing that this Jesus cannot do. That maybe he truly is the one sent from God. The one promised by the prophet Isaiah that you read about as a child growing up. The one that you and your people have been longing for, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That last name has some rich meaning for you. As a young Hebrew, the idea of God's shalom or God's peace shaped everything about your faith and culture. So much to the point that as you saw people and as you saw people, um, you would say shalom. And as you left someone, you'd say shalom. It is the restoration shalom. It, it, it's in the Hebrew understanding. It is the completion and the restoration of all things. It is the direction of creation. And your prophets, they told of a man, a savior who would come and establish God's shalom here on earth making right all things that have gone wrong. You thought that Jesus was that savior. He had certainly done some of the things um, uh, like that. You'd seen him confront and restore a lot of brokenness over the past number of years. But in your mind, he was just getting started. There is still so much left to be done. The prophet Isaiah says in the passage we've been walking through, Isaiah 9, that this Savior will come to shatter the yoke that burdened all of us, the rod of oppression and injustice. 
It says that he will eliminate the tools of, uh, and the remnants of war and violence. The boots of the soldiers and their blood-soaked clothes would be burned in the fire and, and gone forever. But as you look at Jesus hanging on that cross, you come to this heartbreaking realization that he is not the one you hoped he would be. Instead of overcoming, he has become yet another victim of the oppression, the injustice, and the violence of this world. If you have your eyes closed, you can open them. There is this deep longing that we should feel when we read the promises of God and compare them with what we see in the world around us. This is particularly evident when it comes to the promise of God's shalom. How are we to make sense of the fact that our Prince of Peace, our Lord of Shalom, has come to earth, has displayed his great power and authority over the darkness, has even claimed victory over death and evil itself. Yet we still feel the sting. We still bear the weight. We still sense the absence of shalom every single day. We experience the deep sorrow of loss and death. We feel the weight of of injustice and poverty and, and scarcity. We know the pain of broken relationships and fragmented families. We know too well the hopelessness of mental health and chronic illness and addiction. We all on some level have experienced the absence of God's shalom. Yet we believe our Prince of Peace has come. In fact, it's the greatest claim of our faith. How are we to make sense of this? And as disciples of Jesus, we need to be able to answer that question. We can't ignore it and turn our backs on the pain of the world, nor can we give in to hopelessness and despair. To live into this tension well, we need to understand that Jesus' path towards shalom is very different than the way we tend to pursue peace. We pursue peace primarily through a process of elimination. When we feel overwhelmed by our schedule, we try to eliminate our obligations and commitments in order to slow down. When we are stressed and anxious, we find ways to escape the racing thoughts in our mind and, and, and find rest. When there is tension in our relationships, we tend to distance ourselves and shut down from the other person. We do this on a societal level as well. We remove those from our society that we see as disturbers of the peace. If there's a cultural problem, the response tends to be to ostracize or dominate over the group who is perceived to be the cause of the problem. We rely very much so on war and military domination in order to remove any potential threat to our global peace. We pursue peace by elimination. Jesus' path towards shalom is entirely different. For Jesus, peace is not the absence of something, but the presence of something better. Jesus doesn't deal with the conflict and the brokenness in the world by elimination. Instead, he enters into the midst of it. Jesus pursues peace on earth through the addition of his presence, or what we refer to 
as incarnation. Jesus becoming human and physically entering into the deepest pain and the darkest places of the world, not as a powerful king or a controlling dictator, but as a poor, helpless child born to a teenage girl. The Gospel of John describes this newborn baby as a flicker of light that shines in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. I love that image. No matter how dark things get, it never gets too dark to overpower the light. In Luke chapter 1, it's often read as the Christmas story, there's a man named Zechariah. And it says that Zechariah is filled with the spirit of God. And he speaks this prophecy about the coming child named Jesus. And he says, we're going to put it up on the screen here. This is the the prophecy that Zechariah is speaking when he hears that Mary's pregnant with Jesus. And he says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. So we have to understand that God didn't look at all that was wrong with the world and decide to do away with it. Okay, that would be uh, peace by elimination. It's probably what we would do if we were God. We would just scrap it all and, and start over. Instead, he began the slow process of restoring his shalom to the world, and he invited us to join him in that process. So we live in this in-between moment in time, between what God has already done and what he has yet to do. We live in the tension of Advent, with one hand holding onto the truth that Jesus has come, and the other hand holding onto the promise that he will one day come again. We don't ignore, nor do we cower from the pain and the brokenness of the world. Instead, we join Jesus in the midst of it and allow our light to shine into the deepest and darkest places in the world. Not through domination or elimination, not to power over someone or try to force them to change, but through a patient and loving presence, knowing that Jesus has entered into that space before us. And he will be there long after we leave. If we do that, we will see his shalom break in and we will see lives and communities, including our own, completely transformed. This prophecy that we've been walking through this Advent season, Isaiah uh, chapter 9, it begins with this line. It's going to be up on the screen. This is the first line in Isaiah chapter 9. Aaron read it for us at the beginning. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I don't think that we can truly recognize and understand God's shalom if we are not present in the darkness. If we don't sit with people in their pain and brokenness and mourn with them. If we don't understand our own pain and brokenness and the darkness within ourselves. If we ignore it and numb ourselves to that, we will never really see God's shalom break in. We need to look at our world and, and, and we, need to, we need to have this deep longing for it to be better. Because that's the longing that Jesus has. 
It is into the darkness that the light of Jesus shines. And if we love him and love others, as he says in Matthew 23, if we love him and love others, it will, it will too shine through us. That small flicker of light in the darkest room will shine through us. I'm just going to close with um, this reading from Henry Nowen. Keep your eyes on the Prince of Peace, the one who doesn't cling to his divine power, the one who refuses to turn stones into bread, jump from great heights, and rule with great power. The one who says, Blessed are the poor, the gentle, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted in the cause of uprightness. The one who touches the lame, the crippled, and the blind. The one who speaks words of forgiveness and encouragement. The one who dies alone, rejected, and despised. Keep your eyes on him who becomes poor with the poor, weak with the weak, and who is rejected with the rejected, for he is the source of all peace. Father, I pray as we go from this place that we be filled with your peace, and that we would enter into places that might scare us, might make us uncomfortable, that we'd engage with people that, um, that we're not used to engaging with, and that we would spread your peace wherever we go, that we would love people that are hard to love, and that we would get to know people that push us away, and that we'd care for those who need us most. Pray that we'd be agents of your peace wherever we go, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.